Um, you know, I've spoke of this psalm many times, and I love this psalm because the psalmist is reflecting. And he's looking around him, and he talks about the excellency of the Lord's name, the excellency of the name that is above every name. He considers the wonders of God's creation. When he looks about him, and he says, we've said this many times, he sees the trees, the fields, the mountains, the rivers, all the animals, God's creation. He just considers the wonders of God's creation. He doesn't question God's creation. He knows that it had to be created. He considers how God had made man a little lower than the angels, a position that he could not understand when he thought of man. And he, won, he just thought of the goodness and love and mercy of God. He considers how God has given man dominion over the works of his hands. What a privilege and what an honor that God has given us dominion over the works of his hands. But then he asks a very pertinent question. For he asks, what is man? What is man? And I want to concentrate this morning on that question. What is man? Why is he here? When you, you know, when you put yourself in David's shoes as such, and you look around you at the wonder of God's creation. You know, I, I kind of thought of this psalm, when along with Billy Boyle and David McCauley and uh, Daniel there, we stood in the top of Sleeve Donard. And I'm sure they'll tell you, when you look about, you're just amazed at the beauty of God's creation. And you know, you think to yourself then, why is man here with all this beauty? What is man's duty to the Lord? And ultimately, what is man's destiny? Well, the first thing we know about man is that he is a created being. Man did not evolve over time. Man is a created being. You go to Genesis 2 verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, this is a verse which is taken to uh, teach us that man is a tripartite being. And we'll look at that in a moment. But let's just look at this verse and see what it actually tells us. So it tells us the Lord took the dust from the ground and he formed a body. This is one element of man's creation. Then it tells us that the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So this is the second element of this creation. And then thirdly, we are told nothing else was added. Man became a living soul. So the Lord took the dust, he breathed into the dust the breath of life, and this body that he had formed from the dust of the ground became a living soul. Two elements in the creation of man. So man is not a tripartite being. And I at one time would have believed man is a tripartite being, body, soul, and spirit. But when I researched it, and through the wonderful teaching that we received here, I began to realize that is not what that verse says. Man is not made up from three elements. The Old Testament Hebrew word for soul is nefesh, if I'm pronouncing it right. And all it means, quite literally, it means that which breathes. So it's not a separate entity living, dwelling in man or part of man. It corresponds to the Greek word, and again, I'm no Greek or Hebrew scholar, so I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, but it's sushe, and it's P-S-U-C-H-E. And this is translated soul or life. 
And so this informs us that the living soul does not refer to Adam's spirit as immortal, but simply to the fact that he became a living, breathing, physical being when God breathed into that body the breath of life. Because the same term is used in reference to the, fly, uh, the, the animal or the birds that fly, the animals on the ground, and the swimming creatures in Genesis uh, 1, 20, 21. So it merely signifies that, as I said, Adam formed from the dust of the ground, he became alive when God breathed the breath of life into him. Now we go to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We see what the Lord said. And it says, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So some take these verses and they say that because man was made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, that man's spirit, therefore, was eternal or immortal, again, as he's made in God's image. Now, that's the case. If man, when the breath of life was breathed into him and he became, automatically became immortal, that would also mean that he, in, in the likeness and the image of God, he also became omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. Now, among the many words in the dictionary, descriptions like these three words, they are only used for God. And they mean one, and what I mean is one cannot describe a man or a person as omnipotent, omnipresent, or omniscient. Why? Because human beings do not have these characteristics. The prefix omni means all. So combining these words in order, they translate to all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, are present everywhere. Now you would know common sense tells us this morning that this is not, was not a description of man before or after the fall. So we then go into the New Testament and we see John 1, 24, which informs us that God is a spirit. That is high, he is omnipresent. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And therefore, as we have seen, God is uh, omnipresent. We go into the Psalms. And the psalmist asks, where shall I go from thy spirit? Where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, and we go on into that psalm, you'll see how he talks about God is everywhere. So omnipresence is closely related to omnipotence and omniscience. And it means God who is everywhere is able to act everywhere and is, he acts in infinite wisdom in every point because he knows all things. So how, I would ask, can man be like God uh, in God's image? You see, an image is a reflection. An image is a reflection. It reflects someone or something. It either looks like it or behaves like it. So when man was created, he was originally without sin, which is why he was able to communicate with the Lord and walk in the Garden of Eden. And he was originally created to live in immortality in the presence of God. And this is why I believe Satan used his biggest lie 
when tempting Eve to take the, uh, the fruit from the forbidden tree and really think of what Satan said to Eve. Really have a good close look at it. In Genesis 3 verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. The God had told them if they eat from this tree, if they take the fruit from this tree, they will die. And here Satan is challenging that with a lie. And he says, You shall not surely die. Why? Because God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the NIV, but they, they give a decent translation here. It says, You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now we know through disobedience to the Lord's command, how sin entered the world. And therefore, so did death for God's created man and woman. And before we go any further, let's go back to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. So the Lord looked at Adam in the Garden of Eden, thought it wasn't good for him to be alone, and he made and helped me. And we go again into verses 21 to 23. <coughs> And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh and stayed thereof. And the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he the woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So again, we see creation involved here. God made man and God made woman. And we have another important verse back in Genesis chapter 1, especially for today. And it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And if you look at creation, church, you will see that every species created by God were created male and female. This was God's wonderful design plan for procreation. And today there are people that may believe in their mind that they are male or female. But reality is biology, physiology, and especially DNA will state that you're either a male or a female. A young boy will grow up to be a man. He will not need any drugs. He will not need any medical surgery. A young girl will grow up to be a woman and she will not need any drugs. She will not need any medical surgery. This is fact. Today, the world does not want to hear fact. The world is offended by fact. But that's the fact. But church, for us as Christians, and this is where we need to be really careful because this is where I believe the church is conforming to the world. I'm sure, I don't know if you have seen it, but I'm sure you will eventually. There's a Church of England minister, and she has now said that she's the first non-binary minister within the Church of England. Uh, and you know what this is doing? This is not only denying science and common sense. You know, when we talk about creation, evolutionists tell us we are denying science. Well, we're not. We're confirming science. But when they turn around the other hand, when we present science, they don't want to know because they have no argument against it. And here's the thing. If we accept man's ideology today, then we are going against the Lord's creation. 
Man is a created being. God created them male and female. And if the church tries to accept the world today and reject God's creation, then we are rejecting the word of God. Church, we're not doing this in hatred. We're not doing this with any malice, but we will stand for the word of God. What is man? Man is man and woman is woman and they are created beings. So why is man here? The Westminster uh, Shorter uh, Catechism is a document, I'm told, that was written between 1646 and 1647, and it was written by theologians in the Church of England. Its design, I am told, was to bring the Church of England and the Church of Scotland into greater conformity. And it reads simply this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, whilst this isn't a phrase drawn directly from Scripture, the wisdom behind it surely is from Scripture. The Bible tells us with great clarity that man was created in order to bring glory to God. Thus, the chief end of man, the chief end of every Christian, of the, or the chief end of the church is to bring glory to God. We bring glory to God by standing on the word of God. We don't bring glory to God by denying the word of God, challenging the word of God. Man's chief end is to glorify God, to bring glory to our God and Savior. So how do we do this? I believe we do it by seeking to live a life which is holy and acceptable unto the Lord. A life that speaks of the goodness of the, uh, and love of God for man. A life that speaks, and this is important, a life that speaks through walk and not talk. We bring glory to God through our walk, not our talk. You know, some people can sell themselves as a, a good person, but you know something, in God's eyes, it's our walk that is important, that we back up what we say by what we do. A life that accepts man's finite ability and a life that accepts man's sinnership and that is difficult for mankind and that's what keeps a lot of men away from turning to the Lord accepting that fact that they fall short of the glory of God that keeps them from fulfilling their destiny and as to why is man here and this was the fall of man we know we've seen that man was created to dwell in the Garden of Eden and to live eternally with the Lord. But sadly, that all changed in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit. The Lord said to Eve, excuse me. Amen. Genesis 3, verse 13. The Lord said unto the woman, what is that that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And when I read that, I know this is my opinion, and I accept that. But I could just see the, I don't know, is the heartbreak as it were. What is it you have done? Because God knew what they had done. Eve had not yet realized it. You know, it's like a parent uh, chastising a child when they've done something really wrong. You chastise them because you love them. And God in love and mercy, I believe, looked at Eve and says, what is it? you have done. 
And the woman, she tried to blame it on the serpent. I mean, who Adam tried to blame it on the woman. But then the Lord said unto them both, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and her desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, uh, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of uh, thy life. Then verse 18. Thorns also and thistles shall I bring forth to thee. And I shall eat the herb of the field. And this is really important because this totally contradicts tradition. In the sweat of thy face, thou shalt eat breath till thy return unto the ground. For out of it was thy taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Mortality was man's destiny. They lost their immortality. They lost their fellowship in the garden with God through sin. Man now faced death. And we go back to Genesis 3 and 3. And it says, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Lest you die. So, again, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but the Hebrew word used in Genesis 3 and 3 for die is, if I'm pronouncing it right, muth. It means to die, to kill, to slay, to bring to death, to have one executed. Or as the late Pastor Connolly used to say, when you're dead, you're dead. And that's all there is to it. The Bible presents death as something unnatural. You see, the world presents death as something that rewards us. Now, what do I mean by that? Because the world will tell you that when you die, you immediately transcend into heaven and into glory and meet everybody. But that's not what the Bible teaches, brothers and sisters. The Bible tells us that death is an enemy, an enemy that robs and steals, and an enemy that will be conquered when the Lord returns in glory. So death, according to the Bible, is something unnatural. Something that God, we need to realize this, God did not want this to happen. But sadly, death was something which was very necessary. So therefore, God takes no pleasure in death because death is a result of sin. It's not a blessing that God pours on us when we leave this body and head up into heaven and get a pair of wings. <coughs> it's an enemy and it's a result of sin. A holy and righteous God cannot dwell where there is sin. And therefore, Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. They had to leave the garden. So man was created. And sadly, <clears throat> although his chief end was to glorify God, the fall of man was his sin in the garden. So what is man's destiny? The Bible teaches us, and we know this, that Every human being must face death until Christ returns. We can't avoid that until the Lord comes back. Hebrews 9, 27 is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You know, the Canaanites used the Hebrew word muth as the name of their God of death, and they said that he ruled over the netherworld. 
And the Canaanites made sacrifices for the dead and even sacrificed their children. We know that this was forbidden for Israel. We know how they sacrificed to Asheroth and other gods. For me, uh, if you look at the, the, the history of God's people, this is where pagan beliefs began to be integrated and accepted by God's people. These beliefs came in. This, uh, the, 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 this thing that you can sacrifice to this God uh, and you won't suffer when you head down to the netherworld. All these pagan beliefs began even way back then to creep into God's people. And that's why God wanted them. You know, some people think God was a, a very harsh God when he told Israel, when you go in and when you take the land, just wipe out the people, everything, wipe even their very animals that have nothing to do with them. Why did God want God's people to do that? Because he knew that they would adapt and they would integrate into the, the, the things that went on in that land and the things that God destroyed that land for. So we see death <clears throat> has come upon man. Death is simply defined as the termination of life. And it's represented in a, in a variety of aspects in Scripture. Ecclesiastes 12, 12 and 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who give it. And for me, personally, this is a misunderstood verse. Because you need to, again, understand the culture and understand actually what that word spirit means. The word spirit here, again, I don't know if this is a proper pronunciation. I would pronounce it rock. It means air for breathing, air that is breathed. In Ecclesiastes 12 and 7, it means life, the breath of life that God gave and that returns to God upon death. The breath of life is taken away from man and man dies. You see that in many verses, but I'll just give you this one. 104, Psalm 104, 29, it says, Thou hast taken away their breath, they die. God gave man life, and God, it goes away when the breath returns unto God. It is the ending of our earthly house of this tabernacle, the Word teaches. This body which God created, He created for us to live in eternity with Him, but sadly, Sin entered the world, and with sin came death, and death came upon all men. And as said, down through time, the, the integration of pagan beliefs came into the church, and it led men down a false road through false beliefs. And that's why if you follow and study other religions, uh, even right back to, uh, uh, I know, I think it was Brother McGivney said he studied the Vikings, and what they believed about Van Halen, this, this special place where all warriors go to. And even today, that's why some Islamic terrorists are quite prepared to die because they believe that they immediately transcend into this paradise. And that is not what the Bible teaches. And this is an acceptance of Satan's lie that man shall not die. It's appointed unto us to die. And we will, in, in another study, look at what actually happens when we die. But what I'm trying to say to you today is for yourself, study, follow these things, see where these things all came from. You know, one of the events in church history, which many will tell you was a great step forward for Christianity, well, I personally don't agree with that, was the Nicene Council. 
And in the Nicene Council, there was a lot of uh, different beliefs and different bishops teaching different things. And Constantine, he had become a Christian. He'd seen the cross and he, he had decided to become a Christian uh, when he won this battle. But Constantine did keep a lot of his old beliefs. And although maybe with the best of motives, he got all these bishops together and he put them in a room and he told them they're not going out until they sort the thing out. But the problem during the Nicene Council was that the most prominent speaker was a man named Athanas. And you either agreed with him or you lost your bishophood or you even lost your life. And so a lot of uh, pagan beliefs came in during this time, during this council. And a lot were accepted by the church. And one of these things that came in and were accepted by the church is the immortality of the soul. But that's not what the Bible teaches. They had moved away through integration, through compromise to try and find conformity within the church. And although that may be a good motive, but church, unless it's in the word of God, we cannot accept it. And immortality of the soul is not in the word of God. I'm going to go into this in more depth later on, but one verse always comes to mind when we speak of immortality. Is read when you go home today, 1 Corinthians 15. Read the whole chapter. And you'll find, I think it's about from verse 45 down to about 55. And Paul's speaking. And Paul says one phrase. And he's talking about when the Lord comes back. And listen to what Paul said. And you can look up the Hebrew words and the, the, the translators have it right here. And he says, when this mortal shall put on immortality. So Paul is telling us that we are mortal until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, this mortal shall put on immortality. So in other words, church, what is our destiny? Unfortunately, our destiny is the grave until the Lord returns. And then the, the dead in Christ shall rise. The graves will open and this mortal shall put on immortality. We don't become immortal when you become a Christian. And there's many people today and their hope and their faith is in this, uh, uh, the desire that you immediately transcend into heaven and having officiated and having been at many funerals, I listen to people and late Pastor Eric McCulloch used to say, if it brings them a bit of peace, then it's doing no harm and I agree with them. But I think they also need to know that they are mortal. You don't transcend immediately. You don't get a pair of wings. You don't get a harp. And you definitely don't get a tub of Philadelphia cheese. But church, we need to understand. And whenever you search for yourself, please don't take my word for it. Do research. It's very easy to find uh, on the internet. We are very fortunate today. The internet can be a curse, but it can also be a good thing. But find the history of these beliefs, of where they came from, of how they were integrated into the church. And for me, the Nicene Council wasn't one of the best things that ever happened to Christianity. It was one of the worst. Because the influence of Constantine's mother, again, you can read the history yourself and you'll see, I'm not making this up. Her influence on Constantine and integrating a lot of the things that were not of God, that were traditions from other beliefs and they were integrated into what was taught as the word of God, and it's not the word of God. Another fine example I'll give you, and this was Constantine's mother. Historians tell us she recited the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the holy temple where the uh, Muslims have their mosque, 
that actually was a Roman fort. And tradition today will tell you that that was where the temple of the Lord was, and, and this is where uh, the, 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 the uh, Muslims have built their holy place. And there's a lot of Christians have said, you're futurists, and they're going to try and build a third temple on this hill. Actually, the temple was at the bottom of the hill. If you read the word of God, it's very simple to find. When Paul was attacked and the Roman guard was sent, down, or sent to uh, rescue him and bring him up to the, the captain of the guard, it says they came down to the temple. One verse, and that just blows that out of the water. But church, these things are accepted. And there's many people <clears throat> who believe in futurist doctrine are going to try and build a temple on that site. And it will start a war. And it will start, if they ever get to do it, it will start a horrendous war. But we're fighting over tradition because the temple's at the bottom of the hill, not the top. And this is, uh, why I'm telling you this, is that don't be afraid to challenge things. Look them up and see. Because I would rather walk and have my hope in the word of God than in the traditions of men. There's other things uh, that time just takes away from us. But the main thing is we looked at this morning and we'll look at it again, we'll go into it in more depth about the destiny of man, about death and things like that, is let's stick to the word of God. And the word of God is quite clear. It is quite clear for you. You are a created being, created to bring glory and honor to God. We fell into sin and we were separated from God. And we were separated from God and we lost our mortality. But that immortality will come back because Jesus paid the price on the cross, died in our place, rose again the third day and ascended up into heaven where he ever makes intercession for his people. And he will return one day and we will listen to the words of Paul the Apostle who under the anointing of the Holy Ghost who told Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What did this man say? He said, then this mortal shall put on immortality. Then this corruptible shall put on incorruption. When, church, when Jesus returns. So what is man? He's a created being. He's a fallen man because of his sins. He will die, but there is hope. Paul told the Thessalonican church, he said, we are not as those who have no hope. And if your only hope in life, is, uh, as communism, for example, tells us, is you live and you die and that's it, good night. That's no hope in life. That's no peace in your heart. That's no joy. But our hope is in the fact that one day the Lord will return and we will wake from our sleep and we will stand, as Job said, and we will see on this earth the Lord Jesus Christ who will reign throughout eternity with us at his feet. What a wonderful hope we have today. Death, this enemy can take us. An illness can take this body. But you know something? The power of God will raise it up on the last day. And we will live with the Lord forever and forever. The next bit I want to go on to is a bit deep, so we'll just leave it there for now.